Good morning, church. Nice to be here with you. I've just come from uh, speaking to the Spanish. And this morning, we are going to be doing some traveling. So hopefully, you've got your frequent flyer miles lined up, and you're not afraid of airplanes. Where would you like to go this morning? Heaven? Well, we need to go, uh, what do they call it, supersonic for heaven? Um, Anywhere else on earth? Us. Did I hear Galilee? (laughs) We're going to a lake this morning in Galilee. And as we open God's Word, we're in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. And as we get into God's Word, let's ask His Spirit to be with us. Father in heaven, as we open Your Holy Word this morning, we invite your Holy Spirit, to be our teacher, to be our preacher. He knows the things of God. He knows exactly what this congregation needs. So we pray, Lord, that you'll speak through me, speak to each one of our hearts, and make your word come alive this morning. We thank you and praise you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we jump on our plane and we go to the country of Israel. Israel is the country where Jesus was born, where he grew up, spent a little bit of time in Egypt, but mainly grew up in Israel. And one of his favorite places was this beautiful area around the Lake of Galilee. This lake has different names. Sometimes it's called the Lake of Tiberias. In the New International Version, which I'm using this morning, it's called Gennesaret. It's a place where I have visited. It's a place where I walk past restaurants on Galilee and see signs saying Peter's Fish. We're going to hear about Peter this morning. And we're going to hear about fish this morning. It's also a place where they saw a boat in the mud. Any of you ever hear about that? Any of you interested in biblical archaeology? They actually dug a boat out of the mud of the river. They had a year when the water receded. Somebody was walking along and thought they saw an outline of a boat in the water. The archaeologists were called in, and they, those clever Israelis found a way of digging that boat out of the water. If you go to Israel today, you can see it on display in a museum. It is a boat that has been dated from the time of Jesus. Of course, it didn't, doesn't have carvings in it saying Jesus was here. We can't say, they call it Jesus' boat, but we don't know for sure if he ever uh, sat in that boat. But we will, in our story this morning, see Jesus in a boat. So just like I hope that you don't get air sick, so I hope you don't have problems with boats either. It might get a little bit rocky in this boat this morning, but hopefully you'll be uh, close to Jesus Christ and he'll take care of you. 
Turn in Luke chapter 5. It says, one day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Jesus has a lot on his mind. John the Baptist is in prison. Jesus is getting ready to call his disciples, and he needs a time of relaxation. There are people here this morning that have a lot on their mind. We're living in a hurting society, right? People are hurting with their health. They're hurting with sin. They're hurting with the economy. There's many ways that people are troubled. Jesus finds a lifting of his spirits around this beautiful lake. And I'm sure we can relate to that. The mountains, the sunshine, the birds singing, the peacefulness of the lake. But it isn't long before a crowd forms around him. And whenever there's a crowd around Jesus, he's always doing something. Either he's doing miracles or he's speaking the Word of God. So we find in our passage, and I'll read verse 1, one day Jesus standing by the lake with the people crowding around him and listening to the Word of God. So Jesus is speaking and preaching the Word of God. He is teaching the people. Isn't this a good thing for Jesus to do? Who thinks it's a good thing for Jesus to preach and teach? Who thinks it's a good thing for you to preach and teach? Ah, oh, not so many. So you can just leave it to Jesus, okay? Or leave it to the disciples. Problem is, the disciples are no longer around and Jesus is in heaven. So who's going to carry on the preaching and the teaching? Me? Well, what if the conference... Pastor Terry, we're moving you. What are you going to do then? Well, this is a story where you shouldn't say no. This is a story where you should say, whatever you say, okay, we'll do it. But you'll understand that later. He, was, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. So he got into one of the boats, and that boat belonged to who? Simon. Who is Simon? Simon Peter, we sometimes call him. And he asked Simon Peter to put out a little from the shore. Crowd probably too big. His voice is not projecting far enough. It'll be easier to do that from the boat. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now here's where it gets interesting. Who's the fisherman here and who's the carpenter? Who's the carpenter and who's the fisherman? So the carpenter's telling the fisherman how to do his job. Gentlemen, how do you feel about that? Doesn't feel right somehow. Plus, Peter has been doing it the right way. You catch fish at night. 
not in the brightness of the day where the sun is bursting through the water and those fish can swim around and they can see movement and they can see dark shapes and no way are they going to be biting in the daytime. So there's a right way and there's a wrong way to fish. Now being a city man, I know zip about fishing. I once was with, a, I think it was a cousin, and, and uh, he gave me a rod and I threw it back like that, the line back, and it caught in the bush. And, and uh, I don't know if it ever hit the water, actually. I'm sure it did, but I never caught anything. So I don't know much about fishing. Peter knew a lot about fishing, and Peter had been working hard with the others, two boats, at least two, been working all night, and they had caught how much? Nothing. So when you've been doing something for a while and it's not working, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's time to try something different. Now you have to remember that Peter and his friends are tired, They've been up all night. They've got a lot of stuff on their mind. Peter's been thinking about John the Baptist, who's in prison. If John found himself in prison, it doesn't look good for Jesus and his disciples. But anyway, he is asked, or told, put out into the deep water, let down the nets for a catch. So don't just go into the deep water, and the lake is very deep. The big lake. I've swam in that lake. In fact, I went there with some friends once, and it was a, a really beautiful day. And we looked at that lake, and we would just tuck in the, the spirit of the moment, and I said, we have to swim. There's no way that you can visit this lake where Jesus walked on the water and not at least get in the water. Did we have our swimsuits? No. Did that make a difference? No. Did we get in the lake? Yes. Did we swim? Yes. Did we see Peter's fish? Yes. The restaurants there have Peter's fish, signs for Peter's fish. Did we see that boat? You know, as we were swimming in that water, that boat was in the mud. We never knew that. But this is a special place. This was a spot that Jesus really liked to visit and where he did a lot of his ministry. And now tired, discouraged Peter is being told by a carpenter how to do his job. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything But because you say so, I'll let down the net. Is that interpreting it the right way? I think it's pretty close. I think he's going to do it just because Jesus said so. No other reason, not because he believes for a moment that it's going to be successful. But remember, we're talking about a young Peter here. We're talking about a Peter that's just getting to know his master. And we can look at the life of Peter. It would be interesting to do a series on that and see how the mistakes that he makes and the growth that takes place. And this is a growth moment here. And I'm really glad that he said, 
well, we'll, we'll do it because you say so. Because sometimes we do things in our Christian life when we don't feel like doing it, right? When the flesh is weak and the flesh is weary and tired and discouraged. And yet we will do it because God or Jesus has said so. Verse 6 says, When they had done so, they'd gone out into the deep, they'd stretched those weary muscles, and they'd thrown those nets over. Such a large number of fish came in that their nets began to break. Now, discouragement is gone at this point. And they are like excited children. They have energy that they never ever knew was even there. They're energized by the miracle, by the catch that's coming in. You don't, as I said earlier, you don't fish in the daytime. You do it at night. And here they are breaking all the rules of fishing and having this tremendous catch. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Some of you are in a situation where you're tired, you're discouraged, and business is bad. Business is bad because you have no job. Business is bad because the fish are not biting. And yet if you do something because Jesus asked you to do it, and then you get this tremendous catch of fish, this success, then business is booming all of a sudden. Can we learn any lessons from that? And more importantly is the next lesson. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Now, what am I supposed to conclude here? That when you're successful in fishing, you're suddenly aware of sin? What I do conclude from this is Jesus, of course, is calling his disciples. He is not going to the high priest. He is not going to the highly educated does, does God like to do that? Yes, if it's an option. But he needs men and women, boys and girls, who are obedient, who realize their sin and their need of, of cleansing. If you're proud and pompous and self-righteous, then Jesus doesn't need you. Jesus says specifically, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to what? To repentance. So what we're seeing here as we look at this, this fishing venture are qualities of discipleship. And of course, if you know the rest of the story, if you've read the rest of the book, if you've read Matthew, Mark, and John, you know that Jesus is going to build his church around some of these people. Some of these tired, weary, discouraged people who have now seen this amazing phenomenon 
And some of them, like Peter, who have been convicted of their sin and realize that they're in the presence of someone who is holy and righteous, and we're seeing qualities of discipleship emerge here. Verse 9 says, For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will do what? Catch men. Or be fishers of men. In a parallel passage in Matthew, it specifically says, fishers of men. So Simon, probably including John, James, are fishers of men. And when we read things like this, we can either leave it in the first century, or we can bring it into our century. We can travel back from Galilee to Anderson, to Reading, and to Cottonwood, or wherever you live. And we can say, where are the fishermen? And what do we see? Do we see lots of fish? Didn't Jesus say the harvest is, is great? The reapers or the harvesters are few. Do we see lots of fish and opportunities? Or do we make fishy excuses? So I want to dwell on that for a moment. Where will fishy excuses get us? Fishy excuses say, I'm tired. I've worked in the Lord's vineyard, and we say it so piously. I've worked in the Lord's vineyard for so many years, I'm going to leave it to the young people. Well, problem is, at Anderson Church, if you leave it to the young people, we're, we're, we're done. We're dead in the water. I'm tired, I'm discouraged, and this and that will never get you to experience in the miracle. They are dead-end fishy excuses. Let's dump them back in the sea. Get you nowhere. But if you have the attitude, Lord, I'll do it because you say so, well, God can work with that. And even more so, if you realized your need and your conviction of sin, I think one of the greatest needs of the Seventh-day Adventist church is conviction of sin. One of the problems that we have with all of our salvation, righteousness, justification language is we don't feel that need of sin or that, the, the gravity of sin, the depths of sin. On this occasion, Peter saw it. Now, we wish that every day, 24-7, Peter had seen it. We know he didn't. But at this occasion, he did. Praise God for this occasion. Here's something for God to work with. Men and women, boys and girls, who will do it because He says so, whether they feel like it or not. If you live your Christian life on feelings, you will not go very far. Faith has to rise above pure feeling. Praise God for the feelings when they come. When you feel close and have the assurance of your salvation. And, and uh, we talked earlier in my uh, Bible class about closeness and intimacy 
with God, the high priestly prayer of Jesus, I in them, them in me. I mean, is there anything more beautiful in Scripture than that high priestly prayer of Jesus in John, John 17? But hey, there are many times when you and I are asked to do things, whether we feel like it or not, whether we feel close or not, we do it because He has said so. And He says so primarily in the Word. It's a big lesson to learn as a Christian. Hopefully you'll learn it when you're young, when you're a young Christian. I've lost count of how many excuses why people can't come to church. But that's all they are. Fishy excuses get you nowhere. Never get you to the miracle. And those weary, discouraged, despondent disciples are now excited. And in Peter's case, fearful men. Whoa! This guy has power over nature? Now he's going to see more of that, isn't he, in, in, in his future years before Jesus dies. But exactly who is this Jesus? And then Jesus says, don't be afraid, from now on you will catch men. So really, this whole story and incident is way more than fish. It's about eternal values. Let me share a parable with you. Which, by the way, does not apply to anyone at Anderson Church. Let me make that clear. So if you've got your rotten dead fish that you're ready to throw at me, just remember that uh, qualifier that I just gave you. This is called Parable of Fishless Fishermen. Now it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. And lo, there were many fish in the waters all around. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish, and the fish were hungry. Week after week, month after month, year after year, these were called, yet these who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call of fish, the abundance of fish, and how they might go about fishing. The plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and every fisherman should fish. One thing they did not do, they did not what? You got it. In addition to meeting regularly, they organized a board to send out fishermen to other places where there were many fish. The board hired staffs and appointed committees and held many meetings to define fishing, to defend fishing, and to decide what new streams should be thought about. But the staff and the committee members did not... Large, elaborate, and expensive training centers were built whose original and primary purpose was to teach fishermen how to fish. Yet they only taught fishing. Year after year, after tedious training, many were graduated and were given fishing licenses. They were sent to do full-time fishing, some to distant waters which were filled with fish. But like the fishermen back home, they never... And like the fishermen back home, they engaged in all other kinds of occupations. After one stirring meeting on the necessity of fit for fishing, one young fellow left the meeting and went fishing. Woo! Getting exciting. The next day he reported he had caught two outstanding fish. He was honored for his excellent catch and scheduled to visit all the big meetings possible to tell how he did it. And so he stopped his fishing in order to have time to tell about the experience to the other fishermen. 
Now it is true that many of the fishermen sacrificed and put up with all kinds of difficulties. Some lived near the water and bore the smell of dead fish every day. They received the ridicule of some who made fun of their fishermen's clubs and the fact that they claimed to be fishermen and yet never fished. They wondered about those who felt it was of little use to attend the weekly meetings to talk about fishing. After all, were they not following the master who said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men? Imagine how hurt some were when one day a person suggested that those who did not catch fish were really not fishermen, no matter how much they claimed to be. Yet it did not sound correct. Is a person a fisherman if he never catches a fish? Is one following if he is not fishing? Do you still love me? Notice how the passage ends up. So they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything. And they followed Jesus. Kind of interesting how the passage starts out. Uh, it don't make sense to go out in the daytime and cash your nets into the water. So we go from discouraged disciples with fishy excuses. We see the miracle happening. The fish come in. They probably never had a catch like that in their whole lives. Business is booming. They're like excited children in a candy store. And then we see this, the spiritual dimension coming in where Peter says, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Praise God. One man on planet earth realizes his need. I don't know how anyone who understands the gospel can be a proud, pompous Christian. And yet they're all around us. A lot of ignorance. A lot of misunderstanding. And then the, the slow, slow, slow understanding that these men are being called to a higher calling. Now, there's lo nothing wrong with being a fisherman. But as far as eternity is concerned, is it going to be fish or is it going to be souls? Where do you want to put your time in? Where do you want to put your energy in? Those who are working and doing their business and their occupation are just paying the bills. Your real work, your real calling is when you get alongside somebody else and you tell them or you show them the ways of Jesus Christ. And I think this is a, in, at least in our Western world, this is a tremendous weakness and our churches are getting older and older and smaller and smaller. And we're really not catching many fish. So maybe we have to do it Jesus' way. Notice how Jesus caught fish, how he ministered to his fellow man. And we need to learn from him. We need to stay connected with him. 
and even when it feels silly at times to stretch those tired muscles, that weary mind, and reach out to somebody, maybe, maybe that is the time for God to work. We need revival. We need reformation. We don't just need Ted Wilson to talk about it. We need to experience it in our own individual lives, in our corporate churches, and we need... And, it, and when we talk about the Holy Spirit, who, who is not mentioned in this passage, but is heavily mentioned throughout uh, most of the New Testament, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, friends, is always linked with evangelism. Now, the problem is when you say evangelist the Seventh-day Adventist, they think of a public evangelist. We're not thinking of that this morning. We're thinking of you, church members, one-on-one, -on -one, doing what you can to represent the Lord Jesus Christ in your community. Some of you are doing it this very morning by bringing neighbors to church. Debbie's done that, Ted's done that, and there's others here that have done that this morning. There are literally tens of thousands of ways of representing Jesus, right? The more we do it, the more we're involved with catching fish. And I tell you something, when you do catch one or two outstanding ones, it really does get exciting. And then if you stick by those uh, smelly fish, because they are smelly and slimy after all, Jesus has to clean them up, takes a while, and you disciple them, and you mentor them, and you see them catching other fish, oh, then you're really beginning to understand what Christianity and following Jesus is all about. So Jesus says to everyone, man, woman, boy, girl, young and old here today, tired and not so tired, out with your fishy excuses, those are dead-end streets, and in with fishing for souls the way of Jesus, and trusting Him to give us a catch. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank You for the Lord Jesus Christ who came to seek and to save the lost. And Lord, most of us are clueless about real fishing, and perhaps even more clueless about winning souls for you. But I pray that we'll learn from Jesus, study his life, see how sensitive, how caring, how he would listen, how he would minister, how he would share truth with people. And Lord, we're here this morning because Jesus was faithful. And we want to be faithful too. And Lord, we want to leave everything and follow Jesus as fishers of men. In his name we pray. Amen.